Hello, party people, and welcome to yet another episode of You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where two grown men watch every single episode of Nickelodeon's classic TV horror anthology show for kids from the 1990s. Are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> All guesses are wrong. Thank you for joining us, everyone. I am one of your hosts, David, that motherfucker, Tychus. <laughs> <laughs> but you can just call me sir <laughs> um and i'm your other host it's just eli hey eli how are you i'm doing all right how you doing uh doing great excited to talk about this week's episode of are you afraid of the dark the tale of prisoners past yeah i've got a lot of and i've got a lot to talk about in this one this is going to be an interesting episode to record for reasons we'll get to in a moment. Uh, but before we get to that, is there anything in, in your world, Eli, that's worth sharing? I don't know if now is the time to talk about this or not. Uh, I don't know a better time to talk about it. But I I was talking to a friend of the show, horror author John Brell on Twitter today. and um, Hey, John. Yeah, hello, John. And John asked me, where i found ron oliver on twitter he said hey i heard that you said ron oliver was on twitter but i can't find him well that seemed odd to me so i opened up my twitter app i hit search i typed in ron oliver's name and the first result to pop up was the one that i was following now dykes if you were to guess what would you think ron oliver's twitter if you were to guess what would you think ron oliver's twitter handle would be uh at dutch angle That's actually based on this episode. Holy shit! I've got to check right now to see if at Dutch Angle is taken on Twitter. Damn. What about Dutch Angel? Wait, you say Dutch Angel? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Both are taken. <laughs> uh, Ron Oliver on Twitter. Here's the thing. I'm about to tell you what Ron Oliver's Twitter handle is, but I can't verify that for one really simple reason. What reason is that? Well, very obviously, it's that he's not verified. Oh, he doesn't have the uh, the check mark next to his his profile, which I had never noticed. So John said, "Hey, where did you find Ron Oliver on Twitter? I can't find him." And I thought that's odd. I typed in the words "Ron and Oliver," and he popped up. But the person that I'm following, their Twitter handle is at h r h Oliver one, which doesn't sound like. The actual Twitter handle of, like, a famous person, right? I mean, I love Ron, but I don't know how, if he qualifies as a famous person. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's the conundrum here, is, like, Ron's probably not famous enough to have secured his own Twitter handle or to have bought it from someone. Um, I think we he's... may be the only people in the world outside of his immediate <laughs> friends and family who talk about him on a regular basis. I don't know. There's got to be a Sigmund the Sea Monster podcast if you're out there we want to do a crossover find us <laughs> so so uh i said i told john what the uh handle was that i was following and i you know i realized it wasn't verified so i said at hrh oliver one it says ron oliver the profile its profile picture is ron oliver and it talks like ron oliver <laughs> and he said he sent me back in quotes it talks like ron oliver lol which which prompted me to say that I wasn't sure and it could be a Twitter bot. Which is also now the greatest thing I can think of. Just a Twitter bot impersonating Twitter bot Ron Oliver. Programmed to imitate the uh the yeah. style of Ron Oliver. Yeah, Mr. Oliver. 
<laughs> so if any computer programmers out there are listening, I desperately need a Ron Oliver impersonating bot that just posts like tributes to like stars of the silver screen and shots of Ron Oliver holding martinis. And if you could hook it up to like a text to voice thing, we can let it take over this podcast and Eli and I can retire. <laughs> yeah. So that was like the best thought that I had today was the idea that Ron Oliver does not actually have a Twitter and that some person out in the world made a Twitter bot that is impersonating him very, very accurately. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so that's what's going on with me. What's going on with you? Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Uh <laughs> This is the highlight of your life. No, I'm going to leave it at that. Nothing. I'm apartment shopping. Saw Apes 3. Yeah. Uh, that's about it. Not a whole lot going on in our lives, but that's okay, because that's not why most people come here. They're here for the Nick News. Yes, our weekly nude business. And once again, we have some big Nick News this week. Yeah, it's uh, it harkens back to something that we discussed earlier this year. The Kids' Choice Sports Awards. Yeah, the fourth annual Kids' Choice Sports Awards for kids. Now, Dykus, I'm looking at some pictures here, and I'm seeing the, the orange blimp award with a green mohawk. Did everyone get that? Is that is that the new blimp? I have no idea. I only learned about this. I, I know we had talked about it, but I only looked it up recently, about five minutes ago. Yeah. I have to assume yeah. that, yes, they all got the mohawk blimp because... Clearly, in, in 2017, nothing symbolizes coolness like a green mohawk. Uh, yeah, it looks like this person had a purple mohawk, but I'm just looking at random pictures. Uh, I don't know who any sports stars are, so it's going to be hard for me to talk about this one outside of uh, this picture of Michael Phelps getting slimed gold. I mean, Yeah, that's really the only th- point of discussion worth talking about. The high point of the show was Michael Phelps receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award and getting doused in golden slime, which is really a sight to see. Was it last week or two weeks ago that we talked about the recipe for slime? I think it was a couple weeks ago. In one of the articles I read, they talked about how the like how popular getting slimed is among celebrities and how it's such an honor to get slimed, and that... Mark Summers pointed out how on the show, getting slimed was never something that happened to the losers. It was always what happened to the winners. Like, getting slimed was an honor and an award. And Michael Phelps got, in in the article I read from SwimSwam.com, Michael Phelps the first Phelps one I saw, too. Got douched with gold slime. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, wait, this, this says doused. I just read it wrong and thought it said douched. <laughs> That's disgusting. <laughs> Scratch that. Michael Phelps got doused with gold slime. <laughs> I know you have that running list of things that I want to happen when I die. Yes. If I... you can just add... Oh yeah, I'm I'm way ahead of you. <laughs> if you can add gold slime douching to things that the, <laughs> the uh, coroner has to do. <laughs> I... This guy's going to have his work cut out for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Michael Phelps won the uh, Greatest of All Time award and got... Uh, doused in gold slime. And just the fact that gold slime exists, I, I, I need to know now if this is the first time that they've ever used gold slime before. I wonder that too. It looks so amazing. Like yeah. that's re- Michael Phelps would be really, really honored if he was the first person to taste the golden slime. Here is a 2014 article from Vulture titled, Hold on, Nickelodeon has gold slime now? Okay, so this is an established thing. David Beckham got gold slimed in 2014. It looks like 
Was it him? Was it was Beckham the first? Well, it looks like the first time might have been 2014, since that's all of the articles that I can find. Uh, that, yeah, that would have been the first uh, sports awards. Yeah, so it looks like uh, David Beckham and his two children received the Gold Slime honor. Yeah, I think uh, Beckham might have been the first person to get gold slimed. Well, we're going to have to engineer a recipe for the golden slime. <laughs> I guess it'd be like oatmeal. I'm not going to make green slime like some sort of popper. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be uh, oatmeal and applesauce. Gold. And what was it? Yogurt? And gold. And gold. Yeah. So I think that's the recipe right there. Do we give enough of a fuck about the Nickelodeon's Kids' Choice Sports Awards to talk about, like, who the winners were, or do neither of us care about sports? The only people I even recognized just skimming through the list of winners were Serena Williams, who picked up a few, Usain Bolt, and Steph Curry from the the Warriors. Everybody else, I had no idea who they were, either because I don't follow a lot of sports or because I am old. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, all of the people you mentioned are, are fairly, like, established sportsmen's yeah i mean very rarely do the voters in the kids choice awards of any of the kids choice awards go for an out of left field pick yeah that's that's true (laughs) i want to see a controversial opinion from the kids choice awards (laughs) colin kaepernick whoa (laughs) that was the that was the right answer that i was reaching for and couldn't find thank you (laughs) okay whoa 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 stop the presses We have some late-breaking Nick news here in the You Scared of This newsroom. Less than 24 hours before this episode was posted, Nickelodeon dropped the first trailer for Rocco's Modern Life, Static Cling, at the San Diego Comic-Con. We asked for it last week, and I guess Nickelodeon heard us because it is now on YouTube for your viewing pleasure. Uh, Eli and I will have a lot to say about it next week, but for now, just check it out and let us know what you think. Back to the show. So, Gold Slime out of the way do we want to dive into prisoners past Uh, we might as well go ahead and get started because this may take a minute yeah uh so we are talking about episode 58 of are you afraid of the dark it is the sixth episode of season five uh as we might have mentioned earlier this is a ron oliver joint one of the last ones the second to last the penultimate ron oliver joint enjoy it while you can And I do. And this is going to be a Tucker story. And when we join the Midnight Society this week, uh, this is a very character-intense Midnight Society opening. We have a lot to discuss. That's true. Uh, The very first shot was something that I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, we see Kiki and Tucker walking to the fire. She has her arm around him in a very familiar way. Yeah, it looks like Tucker and Kiki, over the course of a season and a half, have suddenly become friends. And I feel like this is not stated outright in the episode, but I feel like the reason for this becomes clear at the end, right? Do you think she's in on it? Uh, yeah, I think she's in on it, and she is uh, commending Tucker, is what's happening here. I believe you're probably right. So they're walking to the fire when an angry voice is heard behind them, and Tucker makes that, oh no, I just shit myself face, that he often makes when he's pulled some sort of trick. Tucker, don't move! When I first heard this voice calling out to him from the woods, it was, like, low enough and angry enough that I thought it was Frank for a second, which is really sad. (laughs) I'm back. (laughs) He just comes out looking like a wild man. He's just been, he's got a full beard. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no, he found me. 
So Tucker hears his brother shouting from behind him in the woods. Gary rounds the corner chasing after Tucker, and Tucker runs off. I thought the action in this moment was really well shot. Like, we follow Tucker, the camera's in front of him, and he's running through the woods past Kiki with Gary chasing behind him. Yes, I I agree. Well shot. Tucker's running to the fire, but Gary catches him and wants to know where the fuck he was when he was supposed to help Gary paint their living room earlier in the day. Yeah, uh... Gary is pissed because this was a job they were supposed to do together, and Tucker just never showed up. As Gary leads Tucker by the collar to the fire, uh, Kiki sort of, like, breaks them up and says, all right, like, guys, let's go. And we cut to the fire, where Stig is wringing out a very, very wet sock. He's barefoot, and he is wringing out a wet sock. Stig is roasting his socks over the fire as if they're marshmallows. he's, He's got them, like, hanging on sticks. Like a like an old 20s hobo or something. One of them he's wringing out, and it is just like pouring buckets. And <laughs> Betty Ann or Sam, one says, yeah, I hate it when... I step in water. Yeah, I hate it when I step in water. And Stig says... This is I step in water. Ew. Let me ask you a question, Dykus. <laughs> Did Stig nut in that sock? <laughs> I mean, it's a sock, there's a liquid in it, that we can confirm is not water. That's all we know at this point. There's so much of it! It occurs <laughs> It occurs to me now that uh, we never actually see him barefoot. He could be wearing two socks. <laughs> now that would be a twist! <laughs> yeah, so uh, he's got this sock, which we assume is <laughs> off of his foot. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. Ringing out, I'm gonna cut this part. <laughs> ringing out nut from it. Like it's still fresh, it's still liquid. <laughs> Why did he bring it with him? <laughs> so Stig is wringing out this wet sock that the girls assume, I guess he stepped in a puddle, and the implication here is that he sweats a whole lot. And they're both disgusted by this and run off, as they often do with Stig. Uh, they run into Tucker and Gary, and this is when Sam says, I'd love to. Gary has no idea why she's saying this, but before he can get an answer, Tucker dives Mm -hmm. straight into his story. Tucker says, of course, that his story is about two brothers who don't get along. He says that maybe the reason why they don't get along is just because they're so different from each other, which, like, duh? Yeah, that's why most people who don't get along don't get along. I would say that most, most disputes come from, like, disagreement and proximity and... So, yeah, come on, Tucker. But he uses this as his introduction. He throws the coffee creamer right on the fire, and we dive into the tale of Prisoner's Past. Now, Dykus, before we get into the plot, I want to ask you, is this Prisoner's Plural or Prisoner's Possessive or Prisoner's Plural Possessive? I can't remember off the top of my head. Is there there an apostrophe anywhere in there? Not on the screen when the title comes up. But on the Wikipedia and the IMDb, there is. So it looks like it's plural, which is weird, because there's only one prisoner in this. That is not worth getting hung up over. It bugged me. It really bugged me. Anyway, we jump right in. Boy, do we ever. We (laughs) open with one of the busiest scenes I think we've ever had on the show. And a lot of great shadows. The very first thing we see in this episode are shadows on the floor. We open on a prison break. Yeah, we see a guard with a giant, like, Hagrid-style ring of keys 
walking the length of a prison block at night, it looks like. This guard, who is a young woman with kind of a bouffant, like, beehive haircut or hair. Yeah, very, very full moon hair. Yeah, such a such a Ron choice. So this guard is walking down the hall. She's got the keys. She's walking past these prison cells. And all of a sudden, the lights start flashing and alarms start going off. And she rushes over to a phone, which she hand cranks to announce that there is a prison break. And we see all of the doors to the cells fling themselves open and a prisoner bursts out. In the midst of all this, we instantly get a scream take from a child who appears out of nowhere. A previously unseen girl who looks like she's maybe 8 to 10 years old. The camera zooms in on her mouth and she screams as a mannequin dressed as a prisoner jumps out of the prison cell. Uh, The camera immediately cuts to this prison guard who was on the phone and she hangs up the phone and she's grinning really big. And she's like, and so began the biggest prison break in this prison's history. And we zoom out to see that she is a tour guide leading a bunch of middle and high school kids through this prison i guess they're all getting scared straight otherwise this is an unusual field trip yeah it's some sort of school field trip to basically alcatraz right yeah some some abandoned prison uh so it's a bunch of very 90s looking kids wandering through like you said a very 90s looking prison the wide shot that we see next which is i guess like the the courtyard in the middle of the prison Looks like, <laughs> I kept thinking it looked like the factory that Homer takes Bart to. The steel mill? Yeah, that's it. Hot stuff coming through. <laughs> uh, that's what this uh, this courtyard looks like. But in this courtyard, there are a bunch of kids milling about. There's a, like, uh, prison tour merchandise booth. And we meet the first of our two young protagonists. Uh, we meet Jason. And Dicus, Jason is one of the reasons I am so excited about this episode. Jason is the uber nerd. We've had many nerds come and go over the course of this this show, but they all pale in comparison to Jason. Well, I like the designs on this one, but the colors on this one are really cool, and this one's really neat. So? Do you know who Jason is? Tell me. Does the phrase Beethoven... Bite this guy on the wiener mean anything to you? It means everything to me. You know that. (laughs) This is the child who uttered our favorite line from the (laughs) Beethoven franchise. Beethoven, bite this guy in the wiener. (laughs) Should be everyone's favorite line from the Beethoven franchise. (laughs) Yeah, it's got to be the only one anyone remembers. Uh, This is Christopher Castile, who played... uh, Fucking, I don't know, I think Ted? Yeah, he played Wiener Ted. Kid. He, play, he played Bite This Guy on the Wiener Kid from uh, Beethoven. He was in all sorts of stuff. He was also Eugene on Hey Arnold. Good news, guys. The doctor says I'll have my full memory back in a few weeks. Oh, what a pretty sign. Eugene, it's a stop sign. I'm okay. Yeah, I can yeah. hear it now. I didn't even, I didn't even realize. Yeah, after you know that and you're watching this episode, he sounds exactly like him. <laughs> that makes a lot of uh, sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was on his IMDb page. We'll get back to the episode in a minute. And uh, under personal details, it has listed other works. 
and he had a biography come out in 1996, which, like, he would have been uh, 16 This at the time. age! He would have been 16 at the time, and he wrote, uh, I guess it's not a biography, but he wrote the book, Being, Being You is Most Definitely Cool. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm I had, sad now. I had the same haircut as this kid in this year, and for several years afterwards. I'm ashamed to say. Were you inspired by this episode? I don't know why my like my mom had to have seen the movie Beethoven. She had to have known that this was the haircut of a true nerd. But this is what my hair looked like for a long time, and my glasses and my face. Uh, so we meet Jason the nerd, and he's trying to decide what shirt he wants to buy at the merch table at this. Uh, prison museum alcatraz thing and he can't decide which shirt he wants and while all of this is happening we're hearing voiceover from tucker explaining that jason is a nerd and doesn't get along with his new stepbrother scott who is a total jock yeah he's a jock he hangs out with a group of of goons that are about his age that follow him around and for seemingly no reason he goes with like what looks like a long tube sock in his hand to go and do something unpleasant to his younger stepbrother. I assume that he's, like, keeping his money in it, and he's just going to beat his brother with the tube sock full of money. We're introduced to the dynamic between these two kids. One is, like, super nerdy, one is a jock. They obviously hate each other and aren't afraid to let the other one know it. I think yeah. J- I think Jason calls Scott Jock Itch. Listen, Jock Itch. Which is a fine insult. I was I loved that scene. Uh, Jason's trying to buy a shirt. He can't decide which one. So Scott comes up and grabs Jason's money, hands it to the man behind the counter, and says, he'll take that shirt, and I'll take this one. And so he uses Jason's money to buy himself a shirt. Jason's like, you owe me five bucks. And he says, you know, Scott says, fuck off. And Jason says, listen here, jock itch. You already stole half of my room. You can't steal my money, too. So we get a really good dynamic from them from the get-go. It's it's very reminiscent of the two brothers in the tale of the phantom cab going all the way back to the first episode i was really reminded of of buzz and demi yeah so um right as the tour is about to start scott gets distracted and jason steals his money back from his bigger badder stepbrother he runs off down a random ass hall in the prison which does not seem smart and is being pursued by scott yeah they run all through this prison into parts unknown and they come across a series of empty cells seemingly empty cells scott catches jason and is about to destroy him (laughs) when they hear a voice coming from one of the cells it's another dummy dummy i've been called a lot of names but dummy one of them most coffee one-eyed jack this is where we meet one-eyed jack one-Eyed Jack. And One-Eyed Jack is a man who looks like a lunatic. <laughs> One-Eyed Jack looks like if the uh, blue scary Muppet Uncle Deadly had a really, was a human and had a really, really rough life instead of wearing like <laughs> fancy tuxedo clothes. One-Eyed Jack calls out to these kids and says he wants them to help him. At first, they can't tell whether this guy is real or animatronic, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I think later Scott says maybe he was a hologram. We saw some new exhibit, a a movie, a hologram, something. You think? A hologram! Come the fuck on! He literally says those words. He does. Uh, One-Eyed Jack wants them to open the door to his cell so that he can be free. There is a really easy, like, single-pin lock 
that is holding his cell door closed and it's on the outside so that he can't reach it. And so the boys unlock it and let him out. Reasonable enough. Yeah, sure. He then commands them to get in the cell, which they do. Yep. Which clearly that's a great idea. At this point, they think this is like a Westworld type situation where there is a robot that is reenacting a scene and this is a part of an, a museum exhibit, which like cool, but also you're 15, 16 years old. So you are absolutely smarter than this. Before Jack can give them further instructions, they're interrupted by their stuffy principal or teacher or some sort of authority figure who demands that they get back out with the rest of the kids. Yeah. And One-Eyed Jack disappears as well. Well, not before he tries to bring them back. He thrusts one bright yellow arm through a door. <laughs> That's true. We get a good CGI effect here. Tell me that wasn't weird. <laughs> After this exchange, we cut to the kids in their bedroom back at their house. Do you have any notes about this bedroom? Well, Eli, I'm glad you asked because I think it's time to bring back a tradition that we haven't seen in a few episodes. And I was worried we would not get... <laughs> I'd like to make some random observations of crap in the background. Oh, I hoped you would. Because there is so much crap in the background here. It begs when to be examined. Uh, the kangaroo crossing sign that we've seen multiple yes! times throughout this show makes yes. yet another appearance. This is the kangaroo crossing sign that we made a really big deal about in the tale of train magic. Yeah, well, here it is again. It gets pretty prominent display in this room which is crazy because there is a shit ton of stuff in this room we see little brother we see jason's computer which looks like it must have been from like 1980 we see that scott the older brother has some olympic rings on his wall but not all of them no those are those are like frisbees oh okay i thought he just had an incomplete like olympics logo like he could only afford three of the five (laughs) i did too yeah they're like I don't know if they're frisbees or some sort of juggling hoops. He has a lot of circus stuff because he also has like... Juggling batons! He has, has multiple, not, not just two, he has like four juggling batons. Jug life! Sort of <laughs> and he has some sort of carnival game hanging up on the wall. Uh, as well as a hockey poster, he has his own basketball hoop like in the corner, like a post. It's not just one on the wall like we've seen before. It is a post with a backboard and a hoop. Well, he is a jock after all. Yeah. The corner of his room is stacked five to six feet high just with, like, Nerf sporting equipment. Which I love that that was the the set decoration here. They're just, like, fucking cover his side of the room in every, like, toy that any child has ever grabbed on the Nickelodeon toy run if it was from (laughs) the outdoor section. (laughs) It is. I mean, this is the kind of set we love in Are You Afraid of the Dark where they just went hog wild and, and crammed it full of everything. Yeah, and it's also something great where, like, the room is very clearly divided between the two kids. The set design here is fantastic because there's no question from one shot to the other whose side of the room you're looking at. Before we go to the commercial, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Jason's side of the room because we didn't discuss that. His side of the room is model planes, the kangaroo crossing sign, several large plastic models of dinosaurs and a poster of dinosaurs that looks like something you would have had in a second grade science classroom. I may have had that poster as a child. When I saw his half of the room, it felt very much like something you would have enjoyed because it's a lot of dinosaur stuff. It's also a lot of planets. 
Uh, he's got a lot of space stuff, he's got a lot of dinosaur stuff, some aviation. It's basically just like science and engineering nerd stuff, but it's also very well decorated. I also want to point out the fact that there is a chalkboard in their room that has all sorts of graffiti scribbled on it. In big letters it says, I don't do homework, so I guess that's Scott's side of the room. And then below that it says, eat my shorts, but that was too offensive for Nickelodeon maybe, so the word shorts is covered up by the head of a T-Rex plastic figure. Well, it was the 90s. You couldn't say shorts on television. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't do that on television. So, uh, yeah, One-Eyed Jack pops out. We get an amazing scream take. We get a huge double scream take. Oh, wait, no. We mi- we missed a detail that I also wanted to talk about. So, is it sh- re- is it a observation of crap in the background? Because I think we've made enough. No, no, no. Well, kind of. Uh, the boys are getting ready to go to bed, and Jason hears a noise. He's looking for Scott, and he can't find him. And he hears a sound in the closet, and he thinks, oh, Scott's hiding in the closet. And uh, when he gets to the closet door, Scott appears behind him. This is one of those really great horror tropes where you think that there's a person in front of you, but they're behind you, so what's that thing in front of you? Um, And the brothers both get scared. Scott picks up a baseball bat. He, like, arms himself before this ghost pops up. I'm 90% sure that it's one of those baseball bats that had the thing inside of it that made the loud cracking sound whenever you swung it just right. Do you remember those? I do remember those. I'd forgotten about those until he lifted that up. Like, he holds up this baseball bat like he's going to beat the shit out of a ghost. And it's definitely, I'm like 90% sure it's that bat. And I was like, oh shit, I forgot those were a thing. Those were so cool. Uh, So I was really excited just to see that sweet-ass baseball bat. And it is at that point that we go to the commercial. We cut back and we get what is, of course, my favorite line of the episode. One of the brothers saying, No, it really happened. It wasn't a dream. It really happened. <laughs> yeah, their parents burst in. The brothers are screaming. After this, we get a scene that is, again, a callback to something we've we've seen in many episodes, or at least a few episodes in the past. I was so glad that they brought this back. The exposition dump via microfiche. They look at some microfiche and discover that One-Eyed Jack was a prisoner who tried to break out of the prison, disappeared, and was never seen again. Yeah, so it's assumed that he escaped and was never found, and that's why the prison closed. The prison closed because it was supposed to be unpenetrable and one-eyed jack escaped they also find out that one-eyed jack's daughter is still alive and they find out where she lives in town and they decide to go visit her then we get a almost shot for shot recreation of the microfiche scene from tale of the dream girl yep not dream girl uh prom prom date prom queen prom queen yeah where they think that the ghost is sneaking up behind them they look through the bookshelves and they see someone in like prison stripes and uh it turns out it's just the librarian telling them that she's going to throw them out if they don't shut up. Well, you'd better be, because if you two don't keep it down, I'm going to throw your butts out of here. 
yeah, Jose Prendes points this out in the uh, the Campfire Companion. It's the exact same scene. <laughs> With one minor difference, which is in Prom Queen, it's a old lady librarian. And in this scene, I thought she was kind of good looking. I was not paying attention. Anyway, that's the only difference. Uh, so the boys have decided that they need to go talk to One-Eyed Jack's daughter, who's now an old lady. And she is not happy to see them. Apparently, she gets a lot of unsolicited attention being the daughter of One-Eyed Jack. Which... Yeah, this this scene... Are people really that is, interested to talk to the daughter of a criminal? I guess uh, kids back then were bored. Like, she's an urban legend, you know? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but they go to her house, and they knock on the door, and they say, Hey, we just want to ask you about One-Eyed Jack. And she comes out waving two canes. She has a cane <laughs> in each hand. That's how old she is. Uh, she's waving both her canes, and she's going, Oh, I see. You wanted to get a laugh at One-Eyed Jack's daughter. Where's your eye patch? You're supposed to have an eye patch like all the other kids. And uh, she chases the boys off. So the boys decide they have to get to the heart of the matter themselves, and they go back to the prison. They break into prison. Not exactly. You're forgetting the detail that One-Eyed Jack friggin' kidnaps Scott, and Jason decides he has to go back to the prison to rescue his stepbrother. Oh yeah, they. Pu- I have my notes here. They pulled him straight out of his Nikes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after they go to visit One-Eyed Jack's daughter, we cut back to them at their house at night. They're debating what to do. Scott is like, fuck this, we don't have to do anything. Like, what does that ghost want with us? We're just gonna, like, screw off on this whole thing. And that's when One-Eyed Jack's arm reaches through their door. We get another CGI ghost arm coming through the door effect. It grabs him and pulls Scott out of his Nikes, and he disappears. So now Jason is on this mission to rescue his jockage older brother. He sneaks into the prison, which is surprisingly easy, because the ghost seems to be magically opening all of the doors for him. Almost as if the ghost wants him to go there. Yeah, uh, he sneaks in. It's very spooky and creepy on the inside. We get a lot of Dutch angles. We get a lot of shadows. It's a very atmospheric break-in scene. And he goes back down to where they had freed One-Eyed Jack. I have here, they, we get an insane off-the-shoulder shot in the prison where the camera rotates a full 90 degrees. You may get there motion was... sickness watching this climax. Yeah, but once Jason makes it to his brother, he finds Scott asleep on the bed in One-Eyed Jack's prison cell. Uh, the boys both find this weird. It doesn't make sense to them that One-Eyed Jack would want to bring them back after they've set him free. Like, why do they want... Why does he want them in the prison? Now, I'm not... Again, I should clarify, I only got to see this episode once before we reviewed it. I don't remember what exactly happens, but I think One-Eyed Jack... Is this where he, he, tell, he instructs them to examine the toilet? Does he instruct them to, or do they just figure it out on their own? I don't oh, remember. it's the rat. There's a rat. So oh, yeah. the boys are locked in One-Eyed Jack's prison cell, and there's a rat that scurries by them, and it runs behind the toilet. Uh, Scott is grossed out by this, but Jason, being the nerd, figures out that if the rat snuck behind the toilet, there must be a hole back there that he got through. Uh, Jason says, One-Eyed Jack escaped from this cell, so if he could do it, we have to do it. And there has to be a way out. Maybe it's behind the toilet. So uh, Big Buff Jock Scott picks up the toilet and moves it out of the way. Lo and behold... There is a tunnel behind it. The boys start crawling through the tunnel. I had a, a sudden rush of, of nostalgia wash over me. I suddenly, like, I immediately remembered what was about to happen. I actually remember this episode in the moment where One-Eyed Jack's daughter is yelling at them because it was such a, like, dramatic and stark scene. But this is a great shot 
of them crawling through this tunnel it had to have been filmed where they like made half of a vent like they cut a vent in half so that the yeah. boys could crawl through and the camera could be on them and so you're seeing it from the side like they're crawling from the left side of the screen to the right when all of a sudden they come face to face with a friggin corpse a skeleton wearing an eye patch with, yeah and its other eye looks all fucked up and scary i mean we yep. talked about how scary one-eyed jack looked as a ghost but as just a corpse as a decaying skeleton he is even scarier and i believe oh we gosh. get one last scream take when the boys discover this They see this skeleton, they scream, and then, as though a trap door has opened, the floor falls out from beneath them. They collapse on the floor with the skeleton in tow. Uh, again, I'm not quite sure what happened here. All of them land on the ground, and the ghost of One-Eyed Jack appears once again and thanks the boys for assisting him in his his plot to get his skeleton out of the vent. Uh, it's one of those things where a ghost was not able to rest because their body had not been laid to rest, uh, which is sort of a piece of like ghost lore and mythology that I like, that a ghost's unfinished business is just being found. That's why ghosts at sea are such a big thing, is because their bodies weren't laid to rest. And that's what One-Eyed Jack's problem was, is he was he tried to escape, he got stuck in the vents and died, no one ever found him, so they all thought he escaped, and his soul has been trapped there because his body was not properly buried. And so he thanks the boys for finding him, and he tells them, like, tell my story, basically. You know, go tell my daughter so that she doesn't have to wonder what happened to me anymore. We cut to the boys talking to one of Jack's daughters. She now looks much more cheerful and bright and sunny and about ten years younger. Yeah, it almost looks like a different actress. She doesn't have her two canes. She doesn't even have one cane. <laughs> this knowledge, I guess, healed her? But yeah, that's what, we're, that's we're told by epilogue that the ghost of One-Eyed Jack was finally at rest and his family had closure and everyone lived happily ever after. And of course, the two brothers learned that, you know, maybe they could learn to get along with one another after all. Scott even pays back Jason the money he owes him for the t-shirt they bought at the prison museum. Oh yeah, we get another nice callback. Uh, we cut back to the Midnight Society. Everyone tells Tucker, good job. Tucker pulls Gary aside and explains why he wasn't able to help paint the den. He tells Gary that he had to wait in line for five hours. Why did he have to wait in line for five hours, you ask? Because he got Gary and Sam tickets to Lollapalooza. Yep. <laughs> I laughed so hard. I did too. This is the this is the most 90s scene we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, he said, I waited in line because I got you these tickets. Happy birthday, bro. And I told Sam that you wanted to go with her, but you were too chicken to ask yourself. And uh, Gary says, Tucker, sometimes I want to strangle you. And sometimes I don't know what I'd do without you. And they all walk off hand in hand. <laughs> and then he strangles him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's for the den. <laughs> And all, uh, while this is happening, this is framed with them on either side of the shot, and Sam is just in the background kind of swaying to herself, just hanging no, out. You, you are, you're not remembering this correctly. While they're having this conversation, you thought that Stig walked off. Stig is in the background having an argument with Sam where she's talking about how disgusting he is. He's like oh, holding is... his t he's holding his two socks, and she's like yelling at him, and you that's can't brilliant. hear any of it. 
And as Sam and Gary walk off together, Tucker goes back to Stig, and the two of them pour the water on the fire, walk off into the night, and we fade to our rockin' awesome theme song. Rockin' awesome theme song! And that is the tale of Prisoner's Past. Before we get into our analysis, I want to clarify why my memory of this episode is so foggy. This episode was different from all other episodes for an interesting reason. This was the first time in the history of us doing this podcast that we could not find this episode freely available on the internet. Yeah, just to pull back the curtain a little bit, normally we just watch these episodes on, like, daily motion. Yeah. Uh, But it wasn't there, and so you had to consult your totally legitimate DVD collection (laughs) that you bought at Goodwill. Yeah, this was the first time I've ever actually watched it. I had to bust out the ultra bootleg comic sans font uh dvd box set i got it goodwill will you remind me how much that cost you seven dollars okay so so far i'm actually the more economical of the two of us because i just rented this episode on amazon and the entire volume nine of are you afraid of the dark on amazon was only uh two dollars well i get to keep mine so that's true but yeah i only had time to watch it once i wasn't able to watch it again and take more thorough notes so i barely remembered this episode which is not to say that it's not a memorable episode. Uh, like you pointed out, we both had remembrances of this from when we were children. I really vividly remembered the ending because, you know, once again, we're confronted with a pretty lifelike... Uh, gruesome? Gruesome, that's the word. Thank you. A very gruesome uh, corpse and or ghost at the end of this story. Everything yeah. else, though, just kind of ran together for me. This... This is not a bad episode. I mean, I enjoyed this one a lot. This is another fun Ron Oliver joint. All of his usual tricks are on display here. The multiple scream takes, the amazing first <laughs> scene in the jail. Kind of like what I said with the tale of the jagged sign. This feels like a lot of stuff we've seen before. You know, the two oh, brothers man. dynamic that we had from Phantom Cab and that we've seen in other episodes. Uh, you know, the ghost with unfinished business. Uh, that's not to say it's bad or anything, but this this felt like Are You Afraid of the Dark? They're venturing into very familiar territory. You, you, Eli, had a lot more praise for this episode, though. What'd you think? Uh, yeah, I, well, before we did this recording, I was very excited about this because I was so excited to talk about their bedroom. Uh, this felt like, you're right, this felt like a bedroom from season one where we got to be really yeah. excited about just like how much shit is in the room. I haven't seen a room like this in a long time, and that did make me really excited. I paused this episode multiple times when they were in the bedroom. I've talked in this episode a lot about all the stuff that was in it. I thought that was great. Uh, I loved that the kid from Beethoven was in this, given how much you and I quote that. I loved that we basically got the quote from Space Jam. Uh, I love that Ron Oliver was directing this and there were so many scream takes. I love that there were two young women. Like, these are not, you know, in my memory, whenever there's a woman with a beehive hairdo and, like, 60s looking horn rimmed glasses on nickelodeon she's supposed to be old it's supposed to be like your great aunt greta or something yeah who pinches your cheeks too much both of these women are like our age when this is filmed it looks like they both look like they're early 30s but they're dressed like old women so i just loved the style of this episode i was really excited to talk about it that being said let's just go ahead and ask the question i feel like we've we've really analyzed this episode throughout the uh the the synopsis let's just get cut straight to the chase yeah eli you scared of this 
I'm going to say yeah, because this episode does have a good, solid ghost story to it. Um, what it does right is that it doesn't complicate things too much. We've had so many episodes where it tries to do something weird or it tries to do too much. Uh, the tale of the chameleons like left us scratching our heads. There were so many questions about what the rules were there. The tale of the mystical mirror, we couldn't figure out why she had to turn them into dogs, like where that was coming from. There were so many unusual things in some of the recent episodes where there just wasn't a lot of sense to it. But this is a really straightforward plot with very clear rules. A prisoner tried to escape from prison and got stuck in the vents and died. And his spirit is haunted by the fact that his body was never recovered. And so he haunts two children into solving his unfinished business for him. Those kids have to sneak into an abandoned prison at night and crawl through a vent and find a corpse. That's a that's a great ghost story. Like, this is one of the best, most traditional ghost stories Are You Afraid of the Dark has had in a long time. It's yeah. not super complicated it's not brilliant you know it's not genius but if your kids sitting around a campfire telling stories this is one of the most authentic stories there and then on top of that they've layered you know some wonderful ron oliver stuff but just the core of this is a story that would have fucked with me as a kid like it plays by the rules of ghosts and it's the sort of thing i would think about when i was in bed at night that's a good point it is not quite as high concept as some of the last few episodes we've gotten yeah and there are better episodes there are better episodes that are also high concept. You know, I'm shitting on the ones that they get complicated and it doesn't work out. I think Dark Music is an episode that has a, a fairly complex villain in that it's not something you see a lot in traditional children's horror. Um, and it has some complex rules to it. And it does it perfectly. This episode is not that. This is episode is an episode that is simple and it is for the best. Yes. What about you? Are you scared of this? I will give this a soft yes. Um... Mainly just for the scene at the end with the the reveal of the skeleton. For all the importance placed on the ghost in this episode, that really is the scariest part, just seeing this very realistic skeleton. And it builds up to that that crescendo really well. That's another thing where if you see it as a kid, I know we talk about, you know, watching these as a kid versus watching them as an adult, but, like, you're forced to think about how that person died. You know, this is a guy who starved slowly to death and rotted away in in a ventilation shaft with no one to hear him or help him, which is which is scary. It's horrifying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One-Eyed Jack himself in, in ghost-slash-corporeal form is is creepy, to be sure. Uh, yeah, he's a bony, emaciated dude with a wispy beard. Yeah, that is enough for me to give it a, a soft yes. I'm not going to lose yeah. any sleep over it, but yeah, it's, it's a good skeleton. So there you go. A unanimous scared of this. Yeah. Uh, so with the tale of prisoners passed out of the way, we can talk about the tale of C7, which is what we kept getting every time we tried to find prisoners passed on daily motion. Yeah, we at least know this one's online. Yeah, the tale of C7 is going to be the 59th episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? It's going to be directed by series regular David Winning, and it's going to be a Sam story. Yeah. Is this our uh, last Sam story? No, no it is not. More. Cool. No sad tuba music next week. 
So I'm actually looking forward to this episode. I think it, the description of it is good. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a good one. So definitely come back for that. In the meantime, I assume it's some sort you... of like battleship related plot. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, okay, I, for a second I wasn't actually sure, but now that I'm looking at the description again, I know why C7 is in the title. So uh, come back and find out what that's all about. Until then, uh, connect with us on social media. Tell us what you thought of the tale of prisoners past. Uh, try and communicate with the Ron Oliver Twitter bot and let us know how that goes. You can find us all over the internet. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash you scared of this. Our Twitter is at you scared of this. You can find all of our back catalog on SoundCloud for as long as SoundCloud exists. SoundCloud.com slash which may not be long. <laughs> yeah, if our if our uh, catalog goes down for a week, you'll know why soundcloud.com slash you scared of this and as always please remember to uh, like and subscribe and maybe give us a review on apple podcasts and google play yes so thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week for the tale of c7 when you sank my battleship i hereby declare this episode of you scared of this closed insert joke about cum sock Tucker faked Frank's family moving <laughs> as a prank <laughs> just to get rid of him just because he was tired of Kenny Picton. He convinced Frank that his family had moved away without him. <laughs> I like the idea that like Frank leaves. He's like, well, I guess I'm going to guess I'm going to move too. And he never thinks to check to see if his family is actually left. <laughs> <laughs> Big dumb Frank. Frank.